Coming up on Garden Talk. My favorite thing are Wi-Fi switches. These little Wi-Fi switches change the game for me because you can put schedules on there, feeding schedules. You can turn pumps on and off. You can turn lights on and off. The main goal is to get the leaf temperature at a certain temp. So basically in veg, I want my leaf temperature to be at 83. And so I'll adjust the ambient temperature to what matches the leaf temperature. We're humans, we forget no matter what, you know? So anytime you can put a machine in there doing something, it's just one less thing to worry about. Four week veg was kind of my norm. Now it's like two weeks and it's already too much. I mean, they just grow so much faster, so much stronger. It's, it's, it's vital. It's so important. What's up, everybody? For you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Growit, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This is episode number 77. In this episode, I interview Dula the Rula. He has been gardening for about 16 years and works with various commercial cultivation facilities in Oklahoma. In this episode, he talks about creating the perfect environment for your plants. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who help make that goal possible. Thanks to VivoSun for sponsoring this episode. VivoSun has been one of the top manufacturers of horticulture equipment for over 10 years. As some of you have seen in my grow videos, I have grown successfully using their grow tents, their inline fans, LED grow lights, HID grow lights, and numerous accessories. VivoSun continues to create really interesting technology that makes home gardening easier. Check out their website at vivosun.com. I will provide a link in the YouTube description section below. Shout out to Gorilla Grow Tent for sponsoring this episode. They have two different size clone tents, 18 inches and 24 inches. The 18 inch clone tent is designed to fit standard size seedling trays. The 24 inch tent, which is the one that they sent me, is designed to fit the Super Cloner 50 or two standard size seedling trays. They also have a clone tent fan and filter, which is designed to fit perfectly in the rooftop micro mesh compartment of both the 18 inch and 24 inch tents. Check out their website at growstrongindustries.com and use discount code MrGrowIt for 15% off. AC Infinity is sponsoring this episode. Their clip-on oscillating fan is now released. I've been using their six inch version for over six months now, and I absolutely love it. It's easy to clip on the side of my grow tent and it has 10 different speeds, which makes it easy to control air circulation. They do also have non-oscillating versions of these clip-on fans. These fans are currently in high demand. When they sell out of the fans, which I expect them to often, you can pre-order them for the next release. You can also use discount code MrGrowIt if you're buying off their website, acinfinity.com. That discount code works for all AC Infinity items. Or discount code MrGrowIt15 if you're buying off Amazon. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I am joined with Dula the Rula. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Chris? Good, good. Thanks for asking. Excited to have you on. We've been talking for the past little over a year. I think we were supposed to have you on over a year ago, and uh, now we're finally getting you on. So we're going to be talking all about environment, right? So talking about creating the perfect environment for your plants. And uh, it's easier said than done, right? You know, 
particularly growing indoors. That's what we're going to focus on outdoors. You don't really have control of the environment. So indoors. But first, before we get deep into environment, introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? Yeah. uh, So uh, I've been growing kind of on and off for about 16 years. Uh, I got really into it when uh, when I was young, my, my folks actually used to have a garden in the backyard and they used to grow uh, just all kinds of vegetables and stuff like that. But one time my grandpa, I saw him take a branch from a fig tree and literally splice it into this pear tree and it just, and with, and with some tape and it just kind of, it just blew my mind and it just kind of fascinated me. Uh, and then once I got introduced to uh, uh, medical plants, um, I got really into it and started trying to figure out how it does what it does and why it does what it does. And I just wanted to just really dive into it. And so at a really young age, when I was about 17, um, I built like a deep water culture system. Um, and I was just growing with hydro. I started with soil. I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. So, I mean, it was before YouTube, before Mr. Grow It, you know? And so uh, so I learned a lot about what not to do. And so, I mean, that was, sometimes that's better than learning what to do, you know? Uh, and so then um, uh, I studied architecture. Uh, I have an engineering background. And with that, I'm able to, to think of it, to, to, you know, to approach it in an engineering like standpoint, um, I'm really into building the right environment. I think that's 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 key. Um, you can have you know two different type of plants and or the same the same type of plant in two different environments, and they would you know they'll grow completely different. Um, and so yeah, I, I went to Dubai about 12 years ago. Or say so. I kind of stopped uh, growing for a while, um, but when things started becoming legal, I uh, I got back into it and started researching, and uh, I felt ready to go and came out here to good old Oklahoma uh, to you know get in the industry. And this was about almost two years ago. Um, since then, I've been designing grow facilities. Uh, I've been working as a consultant and and farms and uh, big indoor facilities as well. Um, and just really, now I'm getting into packaging, so I'm doing a lot of packaging stuff, stickers and, and things like that as well. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of, you know, what I've been doing in this industry. That's awesome, yeah, but when we first connected, before we started recording, you had mentioned that you've been gardening for 16 years off and on, so you've got a, a- quite a bit of experience there and the fact that you've actually worked all your way up into working with commercial facilities and doing the environment for those facilities pretty impressive not many people that are better than you to talk about this huh especially with their engineering background i know (laughs) yeah it uh, goes hand in hand i didn't think when i was uh you know getting my degree that i'd be using it mostly for this and it's been you know uh really helpful actually so before we get too deep what's your style of gardening i like to ask this kind of before we get deep into the topic you know are you indoors mostly outdoors 
What type of medium are you typically in? Are you organic grower, synthetic? What's your style? So I don't really have a style per se. I'm still kind of trying to figure that out still. I'm still R&Ding. Um, there's still so much more to learn. Um, and so I don't really, I guess, have a style. I grow in, in cocoa mostly. Um, so I guess that would kind of be it. Um, at the farm, we, we're doing uh, living soil beds as well as uh, using Athena uh, salts and synthetics in another greenhouse. Um, so I'm trying to pretty much learn as much as I can about everything. We're doing out, auto flower outdoors now. Um, and that, this, that's the first time I'm doing that. So I'm really excited to, to see how that comes out. Um, indoor for sure is the best. I mean, for all kinds of reasons. And uh, greenhouses are just insane. It's just the, and being out here in Oklahoma with the weather, that it's just so bipolar. One day it's hot, one day it's cold, one day it's humid, one day it's like no humidity at all. And so it's just um, trying to keep up with the environment. Um, and yeah, but I started with deep water culture. That's what I've been doing since I was young. I love just hydro. It was uh, it just made a lot a lot of sense. And uh, now with with commercial size facilities and stuff like that. You know, I think cocoa uh, is pretty good. And I'm getting into Rockwell now with just Rockwell cubes. So I'm excited about that too. So you definitely tried out a big handful of things in there and you've got experience doing uh, several different ways, which is pretty cool. Grow room. Let's get into that. Describe your grow room setup, right? So say you walk into your grow room, maybe, you know, how big is the grow room? How many plants you're running? Name off some of the equipment you run, so on and so forth. Um, so I got a, a, like my home grow, I got a, a like a 20 by 10, uh, I'm running 12, uh, six, six mature plants and six immature plants that I stress train a lot. I do it completely different than I would in a commercial grow, uh, in the sense that I'm just topping and fimming and doing all these things that I wouldn't normally do per se as much of, uh, in, in a commercial setting. And so, uh, you know, just trying to maximize the yield and, and more colas and, and things like that. Uh, I, I do everything drip system with cocoa, let it run down uh, a table that's about 10 feet and uh, it drains out into a gutter that goes into a condensation pump that kicks it out. Um, I love it because it's so easy to control. Like it's just, it stays consistent and I got AC ducts coming in. I got three of them coming in. Um, uh, think grow LEDs are the lights that I use. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, they have a really good DLI control, uh, with a troll master. Um, I'm using, uh, Floriflex, uh, drippers. Um, I even have a DI tank and an RO tank as well. So I'm using RO water and I'm running Athena, uh, I started using Athena and it was just, it just makes things so much easier. And when I'm trying to juggle so many things at once, it's easy to just come in and just mix it up real quick and go. Um, I have two 55 gallon drums, one collects the RO and, uh, and then I have a mix tank also that has a pump that I have, uh, like a timer on. And so the timer kicks it on and 
and feeds about four or five times a day. Um, and yeah, I got some fans for circulation. Uh, CO2 is huge. That is like the number one thing. Uh, well, uh, there is no number one thing. I, I don't even like saying that's the number one thing because they're all like equally as important. What about grow room monitor? What do you use as like a monitor to monitor like your temperature, humidity, VPD, CO2, all that stuff? So I use, uh, for CO2, I have an autopilot controller regulator. I find that it's, it works great uh, with a Titan uh, regulator on it. Um, for for my lights and stuff like that, I have Trollmaster. Um, for the irrigation, I have uh, an, also a Trollmaster, the Aqua X controller. And um, I have Inkbirds that uh, turn the humidifiers on. Um, I have a little DHU in there that's uh, pretty much constantly running. So I'm constantly dehumidifying and humidifying kind of at the same time. It just it stays pretty consistent. Um, and I have, I use like sensor push, uh, little, uh, uh, sensors. Uh, my favorite thing are Wi-Fi switches. Now this thing, these little Wi-Fi switches change the game for me because you can put schedules on there, feeding schedules. You can turn pumps on and off. You can turn lights on and off. Um, and I'm basically able to control it from, from anywhere. Uh, just on my phone, so I can fill up the tank. I, the only thing I can't do is just mix the tank. I haven't gotten there yet. I don't think I will. It's just all I have to do is mix the tank. I mean, it's not. <laughs> I don't have to make it that that easy, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think that's all the controllers, um, pulses. I use the Trollmaster also for my the PAR meter, and that's that's constantly connected to the Trollmaster. Um, and I have uh, also a moisture moisture meter in the Coco that gives me my moisture content. Um, I think, and that's about. I think that's about it. Okay, so very automated. Getting down to the nitty gritty of things, temperature. What do you typically aim for for temperature, and how do you control the temperature? All right, so with temperature, depending on whether I'm using HPSs or LEDs, it's a whole different philosophy. Uh, so when it's an HPS, I do it about in veg of about, you know, 82 to 85. The main goal is to get the leaf temperature at a certain, at a certain uh, temp. So basically in veg, I want my leaf temperature to be at 83. And so I'll, I'll adjust the ambient temperature to what, matches the leaf temperature because that's kind of what I'm going for. Uh, and, in, and so in veg, I want the leaf temperature to be around 83 and flower around 78. Uh, that's in LEDs. And so with LEDs, I run the rooms really hot to get that leaf temperature at 83. With HPSs, you don't have to do it as much because HPSs have that, have that heat. And so with LEDs, I run the rooms at like 88, 89. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty hot, but because I also have CO2 in there, they're able to take it like, like it's nothing. And they actually, you know, love it like that. Um, I was all about VPD 
um, until LEDs came around and that kind of, uh, you know, changed things up a little bit. Um, of course, I always try to get the right, you know, VPD, but with, uh, with the room being so hot, you would have to turn the humidity above 80 sometimes. And I don't like to go above 80% humidity ever just because, you know, mold can start growing in, in humidities like that. So I always keep, keep the humidity low. Um, but yeah, that's, that's usually how it goes. Um, it's not too cold. I don't really use, I don't usually like, you know, flour with it freezing cold or anything until the very end, I'll drop it down to maybe 72. Uh, and that's, you know, those are the temps I usually like. So when your temperature, you said you were in a real high temps, do you have to run cooling at all? Are you doing like a standalone AC or are you doing uh, a central AC in your home or like, how, what are you doing for cooling? I have central AC that I, like I actually, <laughs> I went up in the attic and, and ducted some ACs just straight from the ceiling into the, into the tent. And, uh, and that's been working, I mean, pretty great. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling in the house as long as as long as they're happy. <laughs> um, and so that's how I'm cooling it. Um, I have a fan that'll kick on and and blow air uh, just into the tent and let some hot air go out from the from the top. That's kind of how I how I exhaust it. Um, I don't like to do that too much. I just try to keep the CO2 in there. Uh, there's there's all kinds of you know ifs and thens and buts that you know uh, change things around. But yeah, do you ever get to a point like sometimes in the winter time, for example, where I live, it, get, it gets cold and I need to actually add heat, even with the grow lights. I'm adding heat, so I have a small heater, those space heaters, the tower type heaters. Do you utilize heat at all? Do you need to or no? Uh, not really. Uh, usually. It's always fighting. It's always fighting the heat, you know. Um, now that I've been running my rooms pretty hot, the lights seem to be sufficient enough uh, to provide all that heat. Um, yeah, they get they get pretty hot. Those thinkros in in a small tent, you know. But um, basically, just to control it, I would you know put the lights down and uh, and just turn uh, the power down. So you get the same PPFs, but just use less power and less heat. I do the same exact thing, yeah, in order to control the heat. Just dim the lights, bring it closer, so you're still getting the same amount of photons at the canopy, but you're not generating as much heat. It def definitely helps, especially if you have heat problems. Yeah, exactly. And another thing I'm doing, which um, not many people are doing, and some people are calling me crazy, but um, I have like this DLI control. And I have it set also to when it goes to a certain temperature uh, that it like it, the power goes, it, it, it shoots a lot of photons at like 5,000 PPFs and then goes back down to zero and then back to 5,000 and back to zero. And it kind of acts like kind of like clouds. Like if you're outside in the sun and you have a, a par meter, it's never just going to be a solid number. It's always going to be going up and down. And so I have that going on, and it, I average out to about 1,200, sometimes 1,400 PPFs in a day. 
And, and that's what I'm shooting for is, is that DLI, that daily light integral is how much photons they collect throughout that day. Um, and it doesn't matter how, how they're getting those photons as long as they're not getting too much. And that's been working great. And I like it because some, you know, when it shoots at a higher PPF, it'll get some of the lower, uh, you know, butt spots and things like that as well. Um, and it's kind of been working pretty good. I leave the red light on the whole time, like during flower. And so what you'll see is the lights uh, going from white to red, white to red. Okay. So there's temperature and that's how you do the lighting. You touched upon humidity a little bit and I'd like to get a little bit deeper into it. You mentioned that you're running a dehumidifier and that you're also running a humidifier and they're both kind of running and kind of balancing out as they need to on your inkbird controller. Two questions. What brands are you using? I think a lot of audience would want to know that I get the question all the time, what dehumidifiers are good? What humidifiers are good? So what brands are you using? And then uh, also, are you aiming for different humidities throughout the different stages of growth? Some people do that. Yeah. So, uh, I have a little, um, like a clone tent that's like two by four and, uh, a clone start there. I have a humidifier in there. Um, you know, that's just like at a hundred percent when I start and then I drop it down to about 80. When they go into veg, it's around, it's around 80, uh, the humidity. And then when I'm in flower, I drop it down to about 65. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, my, my sweet spot. Uh, and that's, it just kind of, it just kind of stays there at that 65 range. And, uh, yeah. And now this is just like this tent, this tent setup. Now, whenever we're talking about greenhouse or outdoor or anything like that, yeah, there's not much you can do. But with with something like that, you're not trying to fight the environment. You just got to kind of work with what you have. So if it's really, really hot, you know, turn up the humidity so that BPD, uh, you know, gets in that that sweet spot. Uh I've been saying VPD a lot. I know we're probably going to talk about it, uh, but I might as we can, you know. Yeah, let's talk about it. Get into it. So talk to us about VPD directly related to temperature and humidity. Uh, first of all, I do have a lot of beginners watching this. So can you explain what is VPD and do you aim to keep your environment within that optimal VPD range? Yeah. So VPD is vapor pressure deficit. And basically it's the difference between the moisture in the air and the moisture of the leaves. And the, the, the closer you are to that sweet VPD range that you would see on a, uh, on a VPD chart, um, the better the plants are at, at transpiring and at breathing and taking up CO2 and being able to release that humidity at night. And whenever your VPD is off, then, uh, you know, your stomatas that breathe in the CO2 and take it up like they stay kind of closed and it's hard for them to, to breathe it in and it causes a lot of different issues. And so the closer you are to keeping that VPD in the sweet range, uh, the better the plants are at, you know, uptaking nutrients, uptake, uh, uh, breathing and, and, and exhaling and producing oxygen and sugars. And so that VPD is, is, is really important. I focus a lot more on that in, in greenhouse settings 
uh, and in big indoors that have HPSs. Um, with LEDs, I'm still, you know, it, it's not the same as, as HPSs because if I'm running the rooms really hot, I'd have to make the VPD in, in the 90s sometimes, the humidity, I mean, and that kind of doesn't make sense to do. And so with LEDs, uh, it's a little different. Um, and the reason, the reason it's different with LEDs in the heat, it's like if you're thinking about like, let's say it's cold outside, but the sun is still out. You know, that sun is still blasting heat. And if it hits your skin, you still feel it burn your skin. And that's kind of the same way with, with plants. So even if the ambient temperature is, is, is low and that sun is out, those leaves are still getting hot. And so with LEDs, we try to get that same feeling, you know, so we want them to have that same feeling. So that's why we run the rooms really hot and the leaves get really hot and they think that the sun is hitting them. Uh, and, and yeah, and so all that, all, all those are connected. So, uh, you know, the, the best thing to do is to, to have everything balanced. I actually do chase after VPD myself, and uh, I live in a very dry climate, so I'm always adding humidity. I don't even have a dehumidifier, so I have a humidifier. I use the Levolt Smart Humidifier. I actually have like three of them. Top fill, it's a smart one where it hooks up to your uh, phone so you get alerts when the humidifier is out, when it needs to be cleaned, so on and so forth. So I love that humidifier first off, but I'm always adding in humidity. As long as I'm adding in humidity, staying within that VPD range, it really becomes somewhat easy to do. Now, I know different climates, the difficulty level is going to vary. But uh, for me, I kind of, I guess, lucked out a little bit being, living in the climate I live in now because adding yeah, in the did. humidity, I'm able to have a high temp as well because I'm, I'm in the desert. It's hot here. So all I really need to do is just add in some cooling, increase the humidity, and it usually falls in within that VPD range. So yeah, VPD is super important, something I personally chase after. I know a lot of people chase after it. And uh, just to clarify... When you look at those VPD charts, there is a dark green section, which is the optimal range. There's a light green section. And then there's what, the yellow section or, or some of the charts that's like red to where it's really out of range. It's not optimal at all. It's the plant's struggling at that point. So if you're in that light green range, you're still okay. You know, now a lot of people aim to be in that optimal range, which is very narrow, but uh, your plant will still be okay. It'll still grow. So I know a lot, of people, a lot of people panic that they're not in that dark green range. It's like, wait, take a step back. It's okay. You're going to be all right even when you're in that light green range. So I figured I'd, I'd mention that one. Yeah, see, I get OCD about things and like I want them to be like perfect. I want those numbers that I'm looking for to be there, you know, and it's like, I'll keep going until until I figure I'll add stuff and take stuff away until it becomes closest that I can get it, you know, and I won't be happy until <laughs> until it is, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it's super important uh, in plant health. man. honestly, like I think if your VPD is off completely the whole time, I mean, well, first of all, it'll never be as good as it can be, you know. And it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to grow like that and, and think like that, you know, when you know it can be better and just not do something about it. Like there's you know, there's no way. Well, there's some people out there that just want to get a harvest, you know, and so like and they maybe they don't have money. 
for a humidifier. They don't have money for a dehumidifier, so they just roll with the punches as best as they can, you know. But the overall final quality might not be as good as if you were in the VPD range. Good example is me living in a very dry climate. I've gone through gross where the humidity has been 20%, 30%, which is way out of the range. It's way too low. And when you have a when it's very dry like that, it increases transpiration in the plant. So like, you know, in the high heat, it's more prone to foxtailing as well. So I've just had like very airy buds, foxtelly buds from running a low humidity. And I found when I do increase that humidity and stay within the VPD range, bud quality is more dense, better bag appeal. During late flower, you can drop the temps, bring out some colors, so on and so forth. So yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, we can continue to talk about VPD on and on the importance of it, but it does stand true. Staying within those that VPD range, you do get better quality and higher biomass. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's 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 very it's very important for sure because if your plants aren't transpiring properly, you're just going to get some random issues, and, and you're not going to know, you know, you can't really do much about it unless you fix you know, the environment. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, it, you got lucky because it's way easier to add humidity than it is to take out humidity. And so, so that's a lot, that's a lot nicer. I use like an ideal air humidifier, which are insanely expensive, you know, for what they are. I mean, yeah, they're great, but, but 300, $400 for, you know, a humidifier is wow, kind of crazy, but and so the way I have it connected is I have a stealth RO system, the one that's like about 150 gallons, I think, uh, per hour or per day, actually 150 per day. Uh, and that's, that's hooked up and it splits off into my RO. So it's constantly filling up my RO. And then it's also hooked into all my humidifiers and it's constantly filling those up and all the humidifiers have uh, float valves. And so they just shut off when they get full and I never have to, you know, pour water into humidifiers, which, you know, is, is a game changer as well. Cause, uh, yeah, if you, if you have low humidity, you're just going to be, you know, just filling up water all the time. And so that's one thing that, uh, I mean, you can hook up just a water hose to it, pretty much a water line and it'll clean the water and fill everything up at the same time. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I'm filling up my humidifier once a day. I have, like, I think it's like a gallon and a half capacity, so it's larger than most of the humidifiers on the market. But yeah, if I could put a float valve in there and have it automatically fill, that'd be great. <laughs> so yeah. I'll have to look into that one. It'll save you so much time. And then if you forget to put water in there, you know, we're humans. We forget no matter what, you know. So anytime you can put a machine in there doing something, it's just one less thing to worry about. Right. So let's move on to CO2. I have some experience with CO2. I've tried things such as the TMB natural canisters, which can get very expensive. Currently, I'm doing the mushroom bags, the CO2 365 exhale bags. Those yeah. ones are, you know, better value, I guess you could say, for uh, for implementing CO2 in there. I haven't yet run the tanks and stuff, and I know you have a lot more experience when it comes to CO2. So I've got to ask, what do you typically aim for when it comes to CO2, and how do you control the CO2? So... I use a, uh, a tank, like a, a normal, or like a 50-pound tank, um, and I have a Titan regulator on it, 
and I have a, you know, the tube going into the tent where there's a fan and I have that regulator. And so I have the sensor I put on the other end of the, uh, uh, of the tent on the, on the bottom. And then I have the, I have it coming in from the top and I have the air circulating, uh, forward and then it goes back around and comes back up like that. And my goal is to get that CO2 to go and come back and go un up underneath the plants where they can breathe under, under their leaves and the, with their stomatas. And so, um, that sensor and that regulator, I mean, it just does it all. And so like during veg, I'll aim it around. I, I keep it around like, like my, my lights actually, like when I'm at like 900 PPFs and veg, my, my CO2 is usually around 900 also. When I go up to 1200, uh, with my PPFs, my CO2, I bring that up to 1200. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I've been doing it. Um, you know, within, with CO2, you know, naturally in the air, there's about, you know, 350 to 400 PPFs, uh, PPMs of, uh, CO2 in the air. We breathe out about 900. Um, and so, Running it in at 1200 is like, it's like giving them, you know, it's what they breathe in. So they just, they, they take it all in and they just, it's like a superpower. It's like giving them, it's like Mario eating a mushroom or something. You know, it's like, it's like, it, it, they just love it. They just love it. And I can't do anything without CO2 now. So my life really right now is just filling up CO2 every week. <laughs> It's just uh, going back and forth to the, to the grow store with tanks of CO2. Yeah, the plants grow so much more rapidly with CO2. I mean, there are studies out there. One in particular, which I heard from Dr. Bruce Bugby from Utah State University, I actually attended his oh, yeah. certificate program that he has. One of the studies he had mentioned is that 1,400 ppm of CO2 led to a 30% increase in biomass. Now, of course, all the other parameter, all the other variables like temperature, humidity, all that stuff has to be dialed in, nutrition, and so on and so forth. But 30% increase in biomass, that's massive, massive, just from adding CO2 in. So yeah, it, a lot of people really rely on CO2. Yeah, 30% increase. It's, 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 actually, it's crazy, man. Like, and I never used to do it back in the day, obviously. Um, and I used to veg for four weeks, you know, four week veg was kind of my norm. Now it's like two weeks and it's already too much, you know? I mean, they just grow so much faster, so much stronger. Um, it's, it's, it's vital. It's so important. You know, it's just as important as having a good light. But the thing is with CO2, now once you, once you raise your, you know, CO2 levels, you have to, raise everything else so that everything stays balanced and you keep that same ratio. Your PPS need to go up. Um, your humidity and temperatures need to go up. Your, your feeding. I feed at 3.0 EC. Um, when I'm, when I'm using salts, when I'm using Athena and, uh, and they just take it. Like, I mean, 3.0 EC. I mean, that's, that's crazy. If you would have came up to me, you know, years ago and said, you know, maybe feeding, you know, 1500 ppms and uh, I do that from clone like from clone they're getting fed 3.0 EC and they're being pushed and pushed and that CO2 just lets them just take it in and produce so much sugars 
That's awesome. Yeah, the result you can get off that is just is crazy to me. I'm trying to add CO2 right now in the greenhouse, but the thing with the greenhouse is we have uh, an open roof greenhouse. It's it's uh, light depth and everything, um, uh, automated. It's it's great, but if I could raise the CO2 levels, it'll just it'll be a game changer. And I know it's crazy because you know. It's open air and the CO2 will, will just leave and, you know, you're crazy and don't even try. <clears throat> but, you know, I could run, which is what I'm about to start doing, is running uh, like a rainbird tube that has holes in it and running the CO2 just through the plants. And then I have like, uh, like a de-stratifying those fans that lift the air up and bring it back down in like this motion. Um, and I'm going to add misters because we also have low, low humidity most of the time. So I have misters at the top. I'll have CO2 here, you know, and then CO2 weighs more than oxygen. So the CO2 will sink while the oxygen goes out. And I'm just going to see if that works or not. You know what I mean? You don't, have to, you don't have to always take people's words all the time. The best thing I think to do is to, to try it yourself and, and fail, and that's how you learn. You know, I've, I've failed so many times, and that's why I, I know the things that I know. I know what to look for because I've seen it before from failing. And, and so we'll see, what, we'll see how it works. Hopefully that Hopefully those misters, kind of that water kind of keeps, you know, the CO2 kind of low. Um, hopefully I'm not just wasting CO2, but the only way to, to do it is to just try and see what it does, you know? Yeah, it sounds fun. got to have fun with it, right? <laughs> and uh, you don't know unless you try, like you said. And uh, I'm interested to see what you get for a result on that one. But uh, adding CO2 in, you could do that, but if you don't have proper air circulation, that's what we're going to get into next, then your plant's not fully utilizing that CO2. So getting into air circulation indoors, how many fans do you typically run in your indoor environment? Uh, what type of fans and where are the fans positioned? Okay, so this is always, always kind of different, right? So a lot of facilities, you know, will have like, uh, let's say if it's a 50 light facility, and they have like a 20 ton AC unit. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, and the return air is, is coming in this way, wherever the return air is coming in is where I want to put the, the, the intakes. So the intakes will be at the top always, and the returns will be at the bottom so that, uh, you know, the air, it goes forward and then comes back. So I'll place the fans to where it's, it's pushing air in that direction and then have fans on the bottom and fans at the top. I don't put fans on the side uh, because I just, I, like I said, I just try to keep it going like that. Uh, exhausts will take the hot air out um, and returns will keep the cool, cool air coming down. Uh, yeah, air circulation is huge. You don't want to overdo it. You know, so the best thing to do is to have uh, uh, like a, a measuring tool. I don't do anything without measuring tools, you know. So like if you say it's too windy, what's the speed? You know what I mean? Like what what is the speed? Is it 
you know, one foot per second, five feet per second, like three to five is usually what I go for. Cause you want the, you want the leaves to just wave instead of the whole plant, just, you know, going in the wind. Uh, I think a lot of people overdo it. A lot of facilities I go to, they kind of, they put those rotating fans and I do not like those rotating fans. Um, especially on the sides when you have airflow going like this and then you have fans on this side and it's just overkill. Um, you don't want stagnant air, of course, but the only way to really tell is to get a wind, uh, like a wind meter and just check every spot. And if there's a spot that's not getting any air, that's where I'll put an extra fan. And I'll just put one of those hurricane fans that are, you know, 12 inch ones. Um, I use all kinds of fans. My favorite ones are the, the de-stratifier fans. The ones that, you know, that have the, uh, the bowl at the top that suck in air and then bring it back down. Uh, I think those are great. I, I use those in indoor and in, in greenhouse. Um, but yeah, it's air circulation is huge. I mean, you want to mimic what's going on outside you know you want you there's a wind but you want like a cool breeze you don't want a tornado you know you don't want to get wind burn by blowing you know too much air on your plants um and yeah three to five feet per second yeah wind burn is a thing and you can definitely do some damage to your plants and, and stunt the growth of your plants I actually have one of those 12-inch hurricanes that you mentioned. And when I was growing in an open room, the bedroom, I have a, I think it's like a 9 by 12 room. And when I was doing open room, I had that. I was utilizing that. And I actually had that in a grow tent before. And it's a little bit of an overkill when it comes to the grow tent. Now, when I'm in my grow tents, I actually have the AC Infinity clip-on fans. So those are finally released, thankfully. I run one up top and then run on the, one on the bottom as well. So I've got airflow underneath the plants like through the bottom parts and then one above the plants and it's just a small sway right there they're, the plants are dancing a little bit and then um and then ventilation i've got the when we talk about air exchange that's kind of what we're talking about what we're going to get into next i have the ac infinity cloud line t6 and that's all automated so when uh you know i have it come on intermittently as the temperature reaches I usually set it to 80, 82 at the most Fahrenheit. It'll kick on, start exhausting some of that hot air. Or if the humidity gets up to a certain set point, it'll start exhausting some of that air. But yeah, the AC Infinity inline fan paired with the AC Infinity clip-on oscillating fans, that has been working wonders for me in, in just micro tents. So I figured I'd mention that one. What do you do for air exchange? You're using CO2. Are you exchanging the air at all or are you just not exchanging the air because you're adding CO2? Okay, so I'm super weird about air exchange, okay? When I think of air exchange, I'm thinking, okay, so I need some fresh air, right? Everybody's like, you know, your plants need fresh air. Your plants need fresh air. What is it about that fresh air that the plants need? You know, like, what is it? Like, okay, we're bringing in oxygen. We're bringing in CO2. Okay, so the plants, they breathe out oxygen. So they, there's plenty of oxygen, you know, um, as far as CO2, if you're putting in CO2, that's fresh CO2. You know, they're breathing in fresh CO2. And in my mind, I'm like, why do I need fresh air 
when I have fresh CO2 and they're breathing out oxygen, you know what I mean? The only thing is if there's mold or, or pathogens in the air. That's the only thing that I could think of that would make me want to clean the air. And so I have a carbon filter that, that I put in there and that's just, uh, it's not connected to the outside. It just circulates the air inside, inside the tent. And so it's, in my mind, it's constantly cleaning the air. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm hoping that that's what's happening, you know, because I don't want to lose that CO2 and I don't need fresh air because, I mean, there's fresh air, man. It's fresh CO2 and there's fresh oxygen. I don't know what else I would need from that fresh air. So I'm kind of weird about that. So with air exchanges, I don't really... I don't really try to do air exchanges unless I don't have CO2, you know, so in like a greenhouse or something like that, you'd want to put an, uh, an air exchange so that you bring in fresh CO2 because they actually breathe in that CO2 and that's what's depleting and that's what you need to add in there when you want to bring in fresh air. I mean, that's just what I think. I mean, I could, I could be completely wrong, but that's just how I, how I see it. And so air circulation to me is more important than than air exchange. Um, I only exchange the air by taking it out if it gets too hot, really, you know? Uh, other than that, there's some fresh CO2. Gotcha. Yeah, air scrubbing, I think, is what people refer to it as when you have, like, the inline fan and the carbon filter just in the open room and you're scrubbing the air or cleaning the air. I think that's what you were talking about, right? Yeah. Okay, so we covered quite a bit when it comes to environment. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you is logging or tracking the environment's conditions. Are you doing any of that? Uh, you know, some people go old school and they're using it on a piece of paper while other people, they've got it on their phone in some way. Are you tracking the environment's condition, logging it in some way, and kind of looking back at the data and utilizing it at all or, or what? Um, I do that uh, in the commercial facilities. You know, we have logs for, for everything there. And we collect that data so that, you know, when we do have a really great harvest and even when we have a really a bad harvest, we can always go back and look and see, you know, what our temps were, what our humidity is. And we have something to, to adjust and work off of. So keeping logs is is really great uh, when it comes to to that. Now, at home, I don't I don't really keep any logs. I just try to keep it simple. And it's usually always the same temps. So if I were to keep a log, it would just... It would just be the same thing over and over. Um, but yeah, keeping logs is is very important. You got to track your how much how much water you're using, uh, what how what's your EC levels in the morning, uh, you know what the pH is, and you got to adjust, uh, you know, obviously all that. And uh, and yeah, keeping it keeping track. I what I like to do is I keep track of uh, like timing schedules. So like I can always I have an Excel sheet where I can always just go and see whatever day it is and it'll tell me exactly what what day and what week I'm, on, I'm at and what I need to do you know if I if you know what IPMs are there uh, if I need to defoliate or anything like that and I'll add uh, I'll add stuff that I that I do that's different instead of just logging an environment when it's at, at you know at home 
So, you know, if I change feeding or if I change EC levels or if I'm flushing or stuff like that, like I'll put a note on there so that on my next run, I can see, oh, around this time I did this, you know, did I, do I need to do that again or, you know? Uh, so yeah, keeping logs is, it helps you out, you know, so it's beneficial to you. It's not the funnest thing in the world, but it's not the worst thing either. For the environment's conditions, I use the sensor push monitor, like you mentioned, uh, you use in the beginning of this episode. And uh, I have the Bluetooth monitor and I also have the Wi-Fi gateway. So I'm able to actually see it Wi-Fi wherever, you know, I'm able to look at the temperature, humidity, and also VPD. So uh, I can actually look back at this historical data, right? You can see past hour, the past day, the past week, the past year. So uh, that's the way I kind of have things logged is just through my phone, just through that app. Love that app. Love the sensor push. Can't talk about it enough. I've been using I it for know, five, six years now, and uh, it hasn't failed me. So I have sensor pushes everywhere. I have sensor pushes in greenhouses in every corner and, and drying containers and, and, and uh, you know, bedrooms and literally everywhere. And one just in my house just so I know what's going on with my own environment <laughs> and yeah, the historical data and you can go back and see a lot of times, a lot of times people miss what goes on at night. That's just as important as what's going on during the day. Um, a lot of people don't really care, especially if, if their plants are doing okay. Uh, a lot of people won't go back and, and look and see what happened at night, you know? And a lot of times, you know, if it's way too humid at night, then the plants can't really transpire as much because it, it gives it that sticky feeling. Everything's all wet. It can't really uh, release the moisture like it wants to uh, and, and things like that. So it's good to go back and look at the, the data and, and see, you know, what's going on at night as well. Absolutely. That's definitely a great call out. So towards the end of the episode, I'd like to ask a question specifically for beginners. What advice do you have for those new to gardening that struggle to keep their environment's conditions in the ideal ranges? A lot of research, a lot of watching videos, a lot of reading. And the most important thing is measuring tools. You got to have measuring tools for everything or else you don't, we're not we're not sensors, you know, we can't, I don't have ECs built into my eyes. You know, I can't just look at something and tell you what it is. We're not, we're not made like that. And so we have, you have to have sensors. You have to have measuring tools. That's the best way to start because once you, and then you can start reading, watching videos, getting those parameters and then adding, adding things to, to get you to that parameter. Um, now, I, I, mean, I don't know any like the specific problems, but obviously, you know, if it's if it's hot, you want to add AC and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, but if you have a measuring tool and you know what's going on, it's much easier to fix than if you're just guessing, you know, like some people will be like, oh, it's too hot in here. I'll come and check it and be like, it needs to be even hotter. And they think I'm crazy. Um, or if it's too windy, how windy is it? Show me. You know, or oh, the lights are really bright. Well, what's the PPFs, you know? Um, and so measuring tools for a beginner are is just as important as, you know, an expert or someone who's been doing it a long time. Measuring tools and research. 
I don't ever stop researching. I don't ever stop reading. I'm always trying to find new ways of doing things in creative, weird ways. And if somebody hasn't done it, that doesn't mean I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to try it and let you know if, you know, if it worked or not. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that's, and never give up. And you're not going to, it's not going to be amazing in the beginning. Um, but it can. I mean, if you just get everything to those parameters, it should just do its thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think that's my advice is a lot of people start and don't know, uh, you know, how to read the measurements and stuff. So I would say really get familiar with, with learning the measurements and learning, uh, you know, all the different, you know, names for things or, you know, what PPF is and how you measure light and how you adjust it and what DLI is and all these things are, are so important and will help no matter what. Well said. I completely agree with you. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? My Instagram uh, is Dula the Ruler. And I have a company called The Dubai Boys, also on Instagram, where I do uh, consulting, but mainly designs for growth facilities. I do architectural drawings and, uh, and things like that. Um, I'm designing uh, a grow out in Cali right now, a dispensary out in Louisiana that's coming up. Um, and then I have some here. Um, and then I'm at Native Provisions OK. And uh, on Instagram as well, Native Provisions is the farm I'm at. It's 100 acres. We're doing all kinds of things. You know, we have a greenhouse, outdoor, aquaponics, where we're raising fish, you know, and and that's a whole other thing right there. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I'm on Instagram mainly. Uh, I don't have a YouTube channel yet, but, you know, maybe we can we can get there. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Sweet. Well, definitely have a link to your Instagram down in the YouTube description section below. For those of you tuning in on YouTube, you can click down there, get to his channel and give him a follow. If you're on one of the podcast platforms listening in, just search for him on Instagram. You'll find him. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode, and I would love for you to tune into future episodes. Dula, thanks so much for coming on. This was uh, this was a great talk. I definitely learned a few things, and I think it's very beneficial information for the audience here. So thank you once again for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. It's crazy. I used to watch your show all the time, and now here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can have you on again in the future sometime. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that'd be my pleasure. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you in the next episode. Peace.